Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Swire football podcast, Bowl Season Edition. Finally. I know, apparently, fine. It's been how long? Who knows? Two weeks? Three weeks? MWR.com, that's the website. That was Matt Kennerly, ready for more football. I'm Jeremy here, hanging out with more football as well. Friday, apologize just a touch late, so Utah State fans, get to listening right away, because we'll start with you first. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess hey, here's what we'll do, Matt, because we discussed moments ago. Since we are a little bit behind, because I had technical issues yesterday, we'll do Utah State preview, then we'll do the coaching news, then we'll do the other games. How's that sound? Sounds good. So, get ready for Utah State. Um, should we get to the non-football stuff first about... Um, some uh, criminal stuff going on, possibly, and Gary Anderson not being too happy about it? Yeah, I mean, I guess we kind of have to. Well, first off, everybody's playing. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Here's a short version. So, four, no, excuse me, it's four athletes. Three players were charged with uh, possession of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Which, if we're being honest, is it really a big deal, Matt? Is that big a deal? In my opinion, it is not. No. no. However, it's in a state where it's not legal at the moment. It's at some point going to be at least medical, medically available in the next couple of months. That's the plan. But it was in Utah. It was the day before they left for uh, Texas. And uh, you know, it's, it would be good if I had all the names up here. One of them is Jordan Love. One of them is Gerald Bright. Who's the third one? Do you recall? Uh, I do. I want to say it was like Sean Carter. I forget his name off the top of my head. Sounds about right. Maybe I'll look that up real quick. But they, there was a party. They kind of got busted. A cop came by. It's like... What are you doing? You're in sample. You're in test. All this stuff's available in the lawsuit. Not lawsuit, but the arrest and everything. But, okay, they're going to play. It's not the end of the It's not a huge deal. What's a big deal, Matt, is the way Coach Anderson today, Thursday, talked about how very – he basically says it's completely – not completely inaccurate. There are false falsities or inaccuracies in what's being reported. However, in great fashion, the time we live in, let's not give any examples of what's going on, Right? Like maybe he can't, but it just seems kind of weird. Whereas, like when this comes, like the damning quote, like I heard a couple times, is he's basically saying, like he's like the mob boss. He's like, I hope, because he doesn't blame the guy who wrote the article. He blames, I guess, the policeman. It seems like because of that's who had the information, right? The police report, all that stuff, the probable cause, and all those things that are part of this. Uh, what's going on? He's like basically saying, I hope those guys have the worst day that these guys had. Like he wants revenge, essentially, for some reason. See, I read. I think I read that quote a little bit differently than you did because you get to hear it though too. He's like into it. It's like a two minute long clip. Maybe I'll, how about this? Well, maybe, well, whatever. We I can, it's it's split it in here. But if you actually listen to it, it's him like going after those guys. Essentially, it's not just it. Just, I just didn't think, listening to it is different than just reading. I think. But go ahead. What's your thoughts were about what he said? I mean, I think what he's insinuating is just kind of like you know. I mean, he didn't say it explicitly, but like just the whole idea of karma that like. When you when you do some, when something like that, or when you inflict something like that, that on some level it'll come back to you, because you know yeah. I think the the, the 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 easiest way that he framed it was just by saying that the whole situation is irritating. I think if it were anything 
more serious than that, he probably would have used like a stronger negative emotion. The only problem is like like we said, marijuana use. It, it's be it's more recreational. A lot of places, it's not that big a deal really. Mm-hmm. So, but the only thing is, it is against law, and so it's kind of a big deal. It's you know what I mean. Not that it's a big deal, but getting cited for possession. It is also I think what class B misdemeanor. It's not that like overall in the grand scheme of things, what that may entail, fines or whatever, maybe not a huge deal. But it is something they did illegal, and so what are you supposed? What's the police officer supposed to do? Because I read through the report, and it's smoke. It's not just smoking a little bit. It was coming out the door of whoever party with twenty plus people in there. What's the police officer going to do? Oh, nothing. I'm not going to do anything when it stenches as much as it does. He can't do nothing. You know what I mean? Could no, be- I mean I get what you're saying. But him saying it seemed more to me as was it. I get their karma thing. It seems more than just a. Oh, I hope they have a bad day. The way he said it and listened to it, you should listen to it out there, but we I think we tweeted it earlier today. But the way he said it wasn't just saying, like, oh, maybe they'll have their day where something catches them or trips them up or something. He was pretty focused about blaming and having these guys be treated. Like, he made it seem like it was the worst treatment these guys ever had. It's like, stuff happens with police officers. We've seen and heard about all the negative and bad things that go along with what's happened the past who knows how long for a long time, but I don't know. It just, the whole thing is just, you had marijuana. Who cares? Not that big a deal. The only issue is it is illegal. And the Gary Anderson's mad about something about how the process went down, but he's not going to give any hints about what happened. It kind of reminds me of like a really bad, like Bill Belichick impersonation. <laughs> Cause like, you know, you know, when people talk to Bill Belichick about things that just don't matter, like like it, it gets t- under, it gets under his skin and he gets really like taciturn and things like that. Yeah. That's kind of what this reminded me of yeah. that. It was, it was that it was taking focus away from like what he and everybody else were, were trying to focus upon, which was the Frisco ball, the prestigious Frisco ball, might we add you, right? Is that we're getting that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, just don't do something stupid. It's like, if it wasn't illegal, it wouldn't be a big deal clearly, but even though the penalty is small and crime's not a big deal, it's just the way he said it. It's kind of seemed a bit off, in my opinion. But they're all going to play. He apparently seemed, which it's his decision to. It's not a big deal, or maybe they told him something else. But when there's like drug testing involved, and comes up, hey, you had marijuana. That's uh, that's something. Like, here's one question I have unanswered. It's not enough, like NCA can. I'm not. I'm not to say I'm going out to get them to say you can't play. Be the mean guy in the room, but. Isn't that something? Or is it only? I, maybe I don't know the rules on that specifically, but even if, if is it up to the teams to make their punishment when stuff like this happens. Yeah, I think so. I was reading a couple of articles about it. I mean, they they have mechanisms in place to be able to handle it in house. Yeah. So I mean, if there's any kind of punishment coming down, it it might come down to go into effect at the beginning of next year, if anything. And I mean, at this point. Jordan Love wouldn't have to worry about that because he's already declared for the NFL draft. So, yeah. Do you think that's going to impact him at all for where he's going to get picked or not? If you want to take the really cynical point of view, there's a chance that it might. Because um, they'll, they'll say the judgment thing, right? Your character or whatever. It's like, oh, come on, give me a break. But again, I think I think smart teams will be able to put it in the appropriate perspective. Dumb teams may not, but I don't think that he was – really ever in the conversation to be like a top 10 pick anyway not anymore no so you know it's not i don't don't think it's gonna i don't think it's gonna have an impact so he's declared for the draft i don't think we've spoken since that last time have we um no we have not so he has declared for the draft we talked about him going to maybe texas tech 
Oklahoma or Houston. So I had to go for the draft, which I think when I said before, if his choice was between the draft in Utah State, you obviously take the draft. If it's between Utah State and other schools, you have to think about it. And it's like I mentioned before, it's like the Jake, it could have been a Jake Locker situation. Go back to school. Not that he'd be super hyped. But I guess he was sort of a possible top 10 pick back in August, September. But if he had another bad year, he'd drop out of the first round, second, third, fourth round pick. Mm. So I think he's still going to be a first rounder. And I think it's the right choice to make. Like we've seen plays in this bowl game. It's not going to prove much because it's playing Kent State. It's like, come on, what are they going to really provide? It's going to happen when he gets to the senior bowl, when he goes to all this stuff, when he goes to the combine. Like I'm looking at ESPN really quick. They put a, a thing up on their ESPN Plus paywall about kind of draft prospects to watch for all these bowl games. They currently have Jordan Love 46 overall, six of them on quarterbacks, which probably means he'll be a first-round pick, I think. And so part of it's like, oh, new offense didn't play well. His touchdown-interception ratio wasn't very good. We've seen what he can do where he makes good throws and then does boneheaded plays. But it's like there's this was the this was the only decision he could have made. Like even going to a different school, why would you risk that to not start too? Get money. Yeah, get as much money as you can, right? Exactly. Look at Tua, who may who knows what happens to him. He may get that one big contract, and maybe he's no, never healthy again enough to live up to a second or third contract in the NFL if his hip doesn't uh, function or heal properly or as well as it could be before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since you can't get money right now, and uh, there's stuff going on in Congress, we can talk about it another day. But to get your money, he's going to the pros. It's it's fine. That's what you should do. And the marijuana thing, again, it's not a big deal. Teams will over like you're right. The dumb teams will say, "Well, it's like the teams like we'll maybe do draft stuff later." Clearly, but I forget who it was. But there are some players think about once or twice. Like we're trying to insinuate or ask questions if their parent, like their mom, was a prostitute or something. Like. Teams will ask the stupidest questions, right? Mm-hmm. I remember. I don't remember who it was, but I'm like, are you kidding me? But this will be brought up again. But again, it's whatever. It's a minor offense. He's going to play. It's going to be a good play, too, because look how many players skipped the, skip their bowl game, too, Matt. That's true. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, I think, in uh, the other bowl games we had to talk about in this yeah, podcast. A couple, issues, a couple of things we got going on. Issues. All right, let's get to the game itself. Utah State, Kent State. It is the, it's on ESPN2. The Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. Is there a Tropical Smoothie Cafe near you in Fresno? Uh, I had never heard of the Tropical Smoothie Cafe until uh, the, until just recently, actually. This is a, <laughs> so, I, so no, there is no such thing around here. The name sounded familiar, so I looked it up. I see the logo now. I've seen a couple of these around me here in Utah area. Um, apparently, got a, a killer grilled cheese. Looks like not bad. Okay. But it's a smoothie place, a sandwich place. It's a whatever. They have money. They have half a million dollars to sponsor a bowl game. We're talking about it. So good for them. There you so, go. But the game itself, it's the, is this the very first bowl game as well? No, I believe the very first one is the Bahamas Bowl, actually. Oh, I thought there's, okay. Uh, well, Buffalo and Charlotte kicks off earlier that day. Oh, that's right. Friday. Noon Mountain Time, 2 Eastern out in bah- dang, Bahamas. Dang, that's, nice, a bowl, that's a nice bowl game to go to, right? It would be, yeah. All right, so Utah State, Kent State. You did some Q&As um, with uh, Kent State writer. Mm-hmm. Covers his team. This game's in Frisco, Texas. Decent stadium. Toyota Stadium where they've had the FCS title game a few times. Utah State's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Games on ESPN2. Um, Matt, what, what did you learn by chatting with a, a Kent State person? Well, I mean, considering I hadn't thought about Kent State in like seven years. Yeah, why, would, why would you? What's the point? <laughs> it was actually very informative. So if you haven't, uh, I would encourage everybody to go find the articles with Alan Moff of the Record Courier based there in Kent, Ohio. So 
you know, one of the things you have to keep in mind is that, you know, Kent State was part of this kind of big, um, I guess the appropriate term would be like a glom of, of like seven and five, eight and four, <laughs> six and six Mac teams. And they needed to put in a lot of work in November just to even get there. Um, they were three and six three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, overcame a 21 point deficit in the fourth quarter to beat Buffalo. Um, then they came, you know, they had two straight wins after that to get to six and six first bowl game since they were briefly ranked back in 2012. Um, and while they might not be the most exciting team in the Mac, it's not to say that they don't have talent. And so what really stands out to me in doing a little bit of research on them is they are a team that definitely knows how to take care of the football on offense. You know, Dustin Crum, their quarterback, is maybe, I mean, it, it seems kind of cheap to say maybe he's the antithesis of Jordan Love this year, but among the quarterbacks in the conference with at least 200 pass attempts, uh, he is by far the fewest. He only has two interceptions on the air. Um in, with a nine to one touchdown to interception ratio, he's averaging eight point two yards per attempt. And while you know he has, they don't necessarily throw the ball a lot. You know they've made a lot of their opportunities count. You know he's completing sixty eight percent of his passes, which is the best figure in the MAC. You know, he's got a one fifty six point zero seven passer rating, and I think that passing game is really what's going to lead the way. Um, on both sides of the ball, you know, because we've seen Utah State struggle to stop the pass. And so I think if you're looking for one potential avenue where this game could turn one way or the other, I think that could be it. You know, whether Crum and uh, you know Isaiah McCoy, their top receiver, who led the MAC in receiving yards per game, you know, he's a big play threat. I think um, Moff had noted that every single one of his touchdowns that McCoy has scored this year has come from over 20 yards. Hmm. So if they aren't ready to defend the pass, if they let receivers get behind them, you know, that's the the capacity that Kent State has to surprise. If Utah State's not careful, if they haven't fixed the issues that they've had with that throughout the season. All right, so one thing I noticed to like the quarterback – that's what they do. They don't run the ball. They're not. They're not gonna. They're not a primary primary running team. We should say. I would say they're they're like a good but not great yeah. running team. You know, but just by line yards per carry, for instance, they're like right around the middle of the pack. I think what's notable is that they have been a little bit better than that when it comes to runs that get to the second level. Uh, you know, their team opportunity rate is nineteenth in the country on offense, and they're and they're the power success rate. So how well they do in short yarded situations is uh 22nd so i think you know the numbers don't necessarily stand out like crumb is actually the team's leading rusher with uh 560 yards before adjusting for sacks but it's not like the guys who have been shouldering that load are bad you know will matthews xavier matthews are still averaging over four and a half yards per carry so it's not something that utah state can ignore but i wouldn't be surprised if kent leans on its passing game to see you know, if they can you know, maybe land some early body blows against this Utah State defense. That's what they'll do because they're, like you said, they QB when your QB leads team rushing, it's not an option team. It's not ideal. But, again, like they have a couple of guys, three hundred yard, couple 300-yard guys, a 500-yard guy, and Will Matthews. Touchdowns are not quite there. They're going to 
throw. They're not going to really set up the run to throw the to make the pass. If, like play action, probably not what they're going to do because nobody's going to fall for it because they run the ball just good enough to when they need to run the ball, they'll run the ball. But they're not like if Utah State loses because they run the ball well, Kent State, then something's really wrong because that's not what that should not be happening in this game with Kent State. What they can do on the ground, which is just a well, I'll say a slightly above pedestrian running the game, running attack. Yeah, it's not going to scare you. No, I wouldn't say that. And I think, but I think conversely too, one of the things that both of these teams have in common is you know they've had occasional hiccups when it comes to defending the run. But I do think that that's an advantage that the Aggies have in this game. You know, if Gerald Bright gets like twenty touches and has over a hundred yards, that's not going to surprise me. Because what Kent State has done this year on a per play basis, I believe they're actually dead last when it comes to yards per carry allowed. And maybe that figure is inflated a little bit by some of the opponents that they've faced in non-conference play, especially, you know, if they had a September game in Auburn, for instance. And yeah. that's never never nope. fun for, for a lot of teams. But, it, you know, if you look at the splits between what they did in three games versus the Power Five, for instance, uh, against the eight games against, you know, their MAC opponents and otherwise, um, you know, they were allowing six yards per carry against the power five, but they were still averaging about five yards per carry against everybody else. And so that's something to keep an eye on. Like if, if they don't necessarily want to put the ball in, in Jordan Love's hands and be aggressive right away, I think that there's definitely good reason for them to lean on, on Gerald Bright and Jalen Warren, because you know, you just look at the, the individual game performances. They gave up almost seven yards per carry against Miami of Ohio, for instance, uh, you know, they gave up five and a half yards to Toledo, five and a half yards to Ball State. So there is something that can be exploited there if yeah, Utah State's prepared for it. Yeah, and league back league play, they're barely average and almost five yards attempt allowed. Mm-hmm. And so, like overall, yeah, the Auburn game makes a big deal. But like they're the running game, it's Utah State's gonna be fine. Typically, is gonna do fine stopping whoever's up there. I think what their main concern is, it is clearly a passing game. But it's not just a pass game. Like they have some guys that deep threats. Like multiple guys average over ten yards a catch. Uh, like their leading guy, like Isaiah McCoy and Mike Kerrigan, fourteen plus catch yards per catch. Yeah, it's 12, not 12 bad. touchdown. That's a, yes, that's a well over first down if you could do math on the fly here. They have multiple what forty plus yard passes. A handful of those, a couple of seventy yard passes. This is a, where the defense comes up, like with Shaq Bond or whoever. They're going to need to s- s- shut down these guys and not allow them to get these deep passes because you would think with some teams, with the running game, if you have a decent running game, okay, play action, beat you over the top. That's not going to happen here very often because Utah State's just going to respect the run enough. They're not going to be sucked in on the running game. Like mm-hmm. They're not going to do – the odds of them doing many run blitzes is probably very minimal – unless it's like a third and short or in like an obvious running situation. Besides that, they're probably going to play a fairly standard de- defense. So you got to have these secondary guys, the safeties and DBs, not allow these huge pass plays because that's that could be the killer. Like I could see in the game where you have like a 30-yard pass where for some reason these guys who are pretty good get, get open. Quarterback doesn't make mistakes with the two interceptions there. That's, that's probably going to be the key for this game. Utah State's going to win is stopping those receivers. Like the quarterback himself, like he doesn't – quite well like he doesn't have a million touchdowns 18 is fine it's not great it's just it's above average but again the two picks him finding guys downfield to make plays i think that could be the difference he does get sacked about what almost three times a game so maybe the utah state front seven can get to him quite a bit because he's going to pass more than they run 
and that's kind of the big thing is I think the DBs versus wideouts just might be the biggest position. Because I think Utah, State, Utah State's offense, I don't think Love's going to have like a huge game, but they'll, I don't, like you said, the ready game we talked about before, the red defense doesn't scare anybody. Utah State should be fine, especially if Bright and Warren are completely healthy and good to go. Like, I don't see why they don't have a big game on the ground, too. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Kent State's struggles in, in uh, protect and pass protection. I could see this definitely being a showcase for someone like Tepigalii. And, you know, how many times have we talked about him in, in previews and recaps this year? Yeah, not he enough. Hasn't, he hasn't been maybe quite the same level as he was last year, but he did, he did have five sacks. But that, I think, is definitely another one of those things that Utah State has an advantage when it comes to pass protection because, you know, they, came, they come into the, into the game uh, on offense allowing a sack on 3.4% of dropbacks. That's top 10 nationally. And I know that that's something we've brought up many times in many different previews. Kent State, on the other hand, is 123rd. So the, their, their sack rate is actually 11.3%. So if you know, Galliai or, you know, other guys in that front seven, you know, someone like Nick Henninger, Devin Anderson, if they're able to get, you know, three, four, five sacks, you know, especially mm-hmm. in, cr- in critical situations, maybe they force third and long or something like that, you know, really take Kent State out of what they want to do. That's another one of the things that wouldn't surprise me. I think another thing that this game could come down to is, one of the things that I think both of these teams have in common, which are really good special teams. Like we know all about Dominic Eberle, um, but for as good as Eberle was, he wasn't a special teams player of the year like Matthew Trickett was for Kent State. One of the best kickers in the country. I believe he was actually number one in the country in field goals made. Um, And they also have the punter, I'm trying to remember his name off the top of my head, Derek Adams. Uh, who actually led the Mac in net punting. So it could definitely evolve into a field position kind of game too. And one of the things that I made note of in previewing this game is on a per drive basis, that's something that both teams have struggled with. Like when it comes to defending and long drives, for instance, on a per drive basis, Kent State is 112th nationally on drives starting inside uh, the 20 yard line uh, they're giving up 2.64 points per drive but that's something that utah state has struggled with on offense throughout the season they're only 104th on long drives that start inside the 20 yard line so if they can string together drives i think even if it comes down to just getting three points you know the team that maximizes the opportunities and gets something whenever they cross midfield is probably going to be the team that wins the game. All right, so are we ready for prediction time, I guess? We've talked a decent amount about this game. Any? Yeah, let's just do a prediction time, right? Is that what we do here? Well, we got to do projections first. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm rusty here. It's been a little while. You're since It's a bit of a little... We've got to shake off the rust. It's I apologize. Okay. All right, so I'll start here. I got... Um, let's play our quick game, FPI. Okay. Because it's wildly crazy to figure out. I Who do you think's favorite in FPI? Let's just go with that. I'm going to say Utah State is favored. Yes. Do you want to guess by how much? Three. No, percentage-wise. Oh, um, I guess that'd be like, what, 60%? You're, you're getting better at this game, 64.5%. Not bad. Do we Not have bad. what FEI and SP Plus say? We do. Uh, yeah. FEI favors the Aggies by 2.3. Um, and Bill Connolly's SP Plus 
also favors Utah State by 8.2, which is a 68% win probability. Interesting. All right, so what's your prediction then? I think it's going to be a lot more competitive than a lot of other people think. Um, I think Utah State's going to win, but I would take Kent State to cover uh, six and a half. I've got the Aggies winning 28 to 24. Yeah, I could say it too. Like, I. Because I think Kent State has enough offense to move, you know what I mean? Like, they do well enough. Like, when you look back at who Utah State's played with this type of quarterback, it's, um, I would say his quarterback passing wise, I would say it's better than Wyoming. It's probably, it's not as good as Colorado State. Air Force, it's hard to tell. Boise State, Boise's touch better, I'd say. It very much reminds me of, like, Fresno State's offense from the last couple of years. Okay, that could work. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah, or maybe a, Fresno State or upgraded San Diego State passing offense. But that's probably what Fresno State is essentially, right? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> where you don't turn the ball over 20 times and you have a above average um, passing game where you don't turn it over. So I'm going to say Utah State as well. I think Utah State's going to win and cover. Because the over-under in this game, just really quick so we have that as well. What's it at? Is it 55 and a half, I want to say? I apparently don't have that in front of me. I'm going to go similar. No, the over-under is actually 67 and a half. Oh, 60. And you're going what, 30, 28-24? 28-24. I'm going to go a bit higher. I think it's going to be 34-24. All right, then. Utah State covers and wins by 10 points. Bowl, bowl game number one preview done. Let's go. Like we said, we're going to our coaching news. We're bouncing around here because we want to get Utah State stuff out of the way at the beginning. No, excuse me. Matt, I should not say out of the way because people would not like me if I said that. We're moving on. I wanted to prioritize the first bowl game. Is that the better way to put it? Yes. <laughs> prioritize. All right. So coaching news. I saw you on Twitter um, that about Fresno State have making the most obvious hire back-to-back times. Are you okay with this hire again with it being the most obvious and what we all thought? Got coming back to uh, Fresno State after going to Indiana for a, couple, a year as OC? I mean – after the 2017 and 2018, it's really hard to fault them for going back to Kalen DeBoer. So, no, I got no problem with it. So, what do you think? Like, we know the stepping down Jeff Tedford was kind of was fairly sudden. This is clearly probably the best case scenario, mm-hmm. right? So, and he's done a good job. Like, he's done in Indiana. They were ranked for a hot second this year, too. Yeah. And, you know, he basically went out there and the offense was about as good as you would expect it to be. For Indiana, or, or yeah, and, and that was <laughs> and that was despite having to start two quarterbacks throughout the year. I think they had a, a redshirt freshman whose name escapes Michael Penix, I believe it was, who started most of the year, played well, got hurt, and then they turned to the backup Pete and Ramsey, and he was, you know, about as good. You know, so what what does he bring to this team besides offense? Like we saw the offense not very good last year. Jorge Reina wasn't great at quarterback. Running game was fine, but there were a lot of young receivers too because all those guys were like Keyshawn Johnson year before. Like they brought in a huge group. Tight end wasn't utilized well enough. Is he going to get it back to what Fresno was two, a couple years ago, like when he was there with winning the Mountain West title? I think that's the expectation because you know we've seen over and over again, and I think that most of his career we've seen this just as an offensive coordinator is the capacity to build something even in really difficult situations like you know but it's not to say that he hasn't been uh, a head coach before like you have to go back to 2006 you know uh, to see when he was 
head coach at uh, Sioux Falls, the NAIA school. But uh, they won, I think, what three national championships on that level? I'm not sure, but that's good. They were they were runner they were runner up on in in the fourth in that fourth year too. So, yeah. Then he went to Eastern Michigan and basically turned nothing into something in three years. There came to Fresno State, turned them around instantly. Went to Indiana, pretty much did the same thing. So I think, yeah, they wanted an offensive guy who knew the situation knew what the team was trying to build towards knew kind of like the off field priorities, which is, you know, trying to keep local talent local, which if you look at the, uh, the most recent class that was signed on national signing day the other day, you definitely see a lot of that central Valley flavor and to be able to put the new young pieces in a position to succeed. So I think all things considered, and even despite the coaching changes that I think are going to be made to the staff, like we've already seen uh, the tight ends coach Scott Thompson has signaled his departure. Uh, there's news from the the Bark board over at 27, excuse me, 24-7 Sports that there's going to be other changes to be made. But, you know, I think everything is in place for the team to rebound. Okay. Is it more of the... Uh... When you say rebound, is it just because finding better talent or? No, I mean, I think the team was not as bad as the record would indicate. Like uh, most of the fall off was on the defensive side of the ball. The offense had its ups and downs. But, you know, in terms of like scoring offense, it was almost exactly what it was in 2018. Um, You know, they were able to move the ball. They were a little more turnover prone than they had been in the last two years. But I think that those are fixable problems, especially with a new quarterback coming in. Um, and, you know, he has a he has the opportunity now to really build with a lot of young talent on offense. All right. So so I, this hire seems to be so the most, most straightforward. Uh-huh. Um, I guess we will. Well, I guess we'll come back to this moment. Great hire. But this is clearly the out of all the hires, the most no brain hire, no brainer hire. Right. I think so. I don't think any other team could have done. Not the obvious, but better. All right, so the next hire we have, now the fourth one, is here. We had Mexico, which was, I get. Well, I don't know. Danny Gonzalez in Mexico also was a pretty much no-brainer, right? Had some twists and turns, but I think they ultimately made the hire a lot of people expected them to make. What do you think the twists and turns were? I mean, I think if you're a team like New Mexico where, you know, you like I said before, it's a difficult place to win. But that's not to say it's an impossible place to win. And you don't need to look any further than like three or four years ago to see that. I think that you want to make sure you're doing your due diligence. So, you know, while Danny Gonzalez was always the obvious choice, you know, some of the other names that were being floated out there, you know, like Jay Hill over at Weber State, that made a lot of sense because he's a guy who knows how to build a program Mm -hmm. uh, in 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 a tough environment. So... I didn't necessarily have any problem with any of the names that were being brought up, but I think that, you know, like Fresno State, New Mexico made a good hire by bringing back Gonzalez into the fold. Like, this was, like, had he not gotten this hire, like, Jay Hill, what he did at Weber State is really, really good. He's in, right now, the FCS semis, taking him to a couple playoff appearances. He was with uh, Kyle Winningham, University of Utah. He's been around, so he knows that area. Like, 
had they gone to anybody else, like I may have said this hire was worse than what Colorado State did. Almost. I don't know if I go that far, but close. Just because if you like we know our buddy Roger Hole and he's been part of that program before. He's pretty close to all these people in Mexico and knows some people. It's like and it's not and like this is not this is everybody knows this, or if you don't, it's public knowledge. That Danny wanted to go back to New Mexico, he wanted to be part of that program. He's from there. He was with Rocky Long, coach Brian Erlacher. He actually has those relationship with high school coaches that Bob Davy could give give a crap about. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in a state where you produce, I'm guessing top of my head, I, what, I'm a handful of Division One talent and a handful that's good enough to play in New Mexico, which at the moment, not the highest bar to achieve, but having FBS talent in your state, there's not much there. He's near Texas, like California. He's right in the middle, but he's still got to get the guys who are there. And like, he wanted to come back and he's a guy who knows he's been there when they've been their most successful. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, consistently the most successful year recently was when they are best technically co-champions and they beat Boise state that year, a couple years ago. Well, okay. So here's something I think that Danny Gonzalez can bring to the table. And this was something I noted on Twitter earlier. I forget exactly who put it out there, but somebody made a note of the fact that San Diego state, who we'll talk about in a minute because they're part of the New Mexico bowl. Mm-hmm. They have like several players from New Mexico on the roster. Like mm-hmm. Jordan Bird is from Albuquerque. Um, I want to say it was either Keshawn Banks or Miles Cheatham are from New Mexico. Um, yeah, they have players from that area. Or yeah, Keshawn Banks is from Rio Rancho. Sorry, I was trying to look at the roster while I was talking. So I think what the one of the goals is is kind of like we just talked about with Fresno State, where you know they what Tedford really prioritized over the last couple of years was trying to just keep local players in the fold, trying to establish connections that mm-hmm. had really kind of withered. Um, I could definitely see the same kind of thing happening in New Mexico. Like you don't want those guys going to a place like San Diego State. You want them to feel like they can they should stay home. Yeah, and be a, and be a part of something great. And so, I think that again, it, it's not going to be the kind of thing that happens overnight. You know, if you look at National Signing Day, for instance, you may have noticed that in the early signing period, New Mexico signed exactly one commit. Oof, <laughs> that's not good. It's going to be a long haul job. Is this a year zero job? Unlike others, we said it is. Oh. Okay. It is. It's get, but they're giving him time, I think, to be able to sort it out and do what he needs to do in order to make that happen in the long run. And there's excitement because the last two hires they brought in, like like I wrote a quick piece on, or Roger wrote a piece. I maybe I think I tweaked a little bit, added a few of my own things to fill it out to wrap it up. But like Bob Davy was a decade removed from Notre Dame, and he was an ESPN coach in the booth. People knew his name, so that's like okay, that's a pretty cool hire for New Mexico. It was surprising just because, oh, a former Notre Dame coach comes in, and Mike Lockley is just a hot coach at Illinois who did good, and it was like it was a mess from the start. This is the first coach since Rocky Long where they had a guy who knows the program. It's like, if we're being honest, like the expectation in Mexico, even if they're at their best, I don't know what offense they're going to run because he was a D.C., Danny was. He was also a member of San Diego State as well, so like you mentioned before, Coach Rocky Long. So he, he's very familiar with everything coaching, playing, all this type of stuff. Like, if we're being honest, the ceiling for New Mexico is probably what they did with Bob Davey a couple years ago when they ran that unique offense and were cut when they beat Boise, won, tied for the division. It's like that's honestly probably their ceiling. Maybe get to a title game once every so often, like decade plus or something. 
but they've never been great. And Rocky Log said years ago, can't forget, he's like, I cannot do any more. And he's and he left, retired essentially, then went to San Diego State for the DC, took over when um was it Brady Hoke left or whoever left to take yeah, left. And so what do we expect from like what's a good like if he's gonna meet expectations or what Lobos fans want to be because they'll get people to come to the game because this guy played there, been around the program, so that's helpful. Like, is it really seven wins with the, under Rocky Long is the best they could do? Is that what they're still shooting for? I think the bar should be bowl eligibility. Okay. But, again, it's, How it's, soon? It's, it, they should be expecting it next year. I think it's probably going to be like – Three years? Three years, I think, is where you kind of have to start looking at things. And I think maybe the, the best analogy right now is not quite the same situation, but like San Jose State, mm-hmm. for instance. That's what I do. Where, you know, they came in, they had some growing pains, and then this year they finally took the step forward. I think that's kind of the path that New Mexico is going to have to follow. I agree, too. But what are they going to do offensively? And not that we know, but like we'll move on overall coaching hires here. But the reason they're good, we had that unique offense. What are they going to do differently to make sit and have them stand out? Are they just going to go to a more? They have all the wide receivers they recruited. We also mentioned in passing before they have, they went heavy JUCO route. So even if they sign a full class of twenty five, they're going to be struggling to fill out their eighty five scholarships in next year, essentially in two years, because all these guys are gone. A bunch of walk ons, or maybe they'll get a transfer portal guy here, or there a JUCO guy, but not as many. I just wondering what what's going to make them stand out to be to get there because they move quickly with Bob the beast there from same Houston state to come in to run the offense. And that's kind of the big thing there. Cause that's why, that's why they were good. And I really think with the lack of talent in the area, what they've done historically, they need to do something like that again to be able to offset or counter some of the norm, go bring back the, I don't know, go to the wishbone, single wing T. I don't know. Dude, they got to do something. That's my point. What are they going to do? Do you think to make them stand out to be good? Because I don't think, at least in the next couple of years, to be a typical standard traditional offense, essentially whatever you want to call it is, but not a not a gimmick or offense before other teams have done triple option. Not as a gimmick, but way different. How I, mean, they I think I think right now the pieces are in place to be kind of like San Diego State Southwest. Yeah, because I th- I believe both Bryson yeah. Carroll. I believe Bryson Carroll is coming back. I think Amari Davis was a senior, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, but they have two, three, four running backs who had some playing time this year. Um, you know, they have Tavaka Tuioti coming back. You know, they have Trey Call coming back. So I guess it wouldn't surprise me if he tries to shape the offense in that kind of image. You know, where maybe someone like Jordan Kress can be like the, the Fred Trevilian role, where maybe they don't have more than, what, 30, 35 catches but he's averaging 15, 16, 17 yards per play. And so obviously we'll have to wait and see what coaching hires are made, but it's not like, I mean, it's not like New Mexico is completely devoid of talent on that side of the ball. True. It's just a matter of figuring out how to deploy it most efficiently because what we saw this year was a lot of explosiveness, not a lot of efficiency. Yeah. I will say this, looking at next year really quick to the schedule, I see three. I think they can win three non-conference games. Just really quick, they got Idaho State. They go to Mississippi State, obviously lost. They go to USC, a loss. They go to New Mexico State, which could be a victory. And then they host UMass. So that could be a pretty nice start if they can go three and two. And then I don't know what they'll do in league play. 
Um, they got San Jose State in the West Division. They got Hawaii, one, Hawaii's road, San Jose State's home, Nevada home. Maybe they get one non one conference win, but I think they can start off being get that excitement with three wins in non league play. Mm-hmm. So, but the higher it's like it's it wasn't the most like we say I guess it was the most obvious, but it's also the best hire they could do. Like even though what Jay Hill's done would have been great, but for to what they really need because we're not kidding ourselves. Football got to make money, get people there. It was Danny Gonzalez from day one, clearly. Mm-hmm. So how what would you what would you do with the hires? Like how would you go one to four? Um, I would say, I would say Gonzalez, DeBoer, Arroyo, Adasio. Okay, I'm exactly with you as well. It also depends what would you say the fit would be for school. Like the best, uh, fairly like Gonzalez, maybe like was he is he the best coach? I don't know, but he's the best coach for that job, right? I mean, I I would probably put DeBoer at the top, actually, just because of what we saw from him in this specific situation Mm -hmm. just last year. Sure. No, I I agree with that, too. That's why, yeah. But, yeah, but it's it's like fit, too. Like, who has the best fit? I think you put, I don't know. I think they'd be both up there, but I guess maybe with him being back at Fresno State would put him a touch higher. But I think we could all agree Steve Adagio to CSU is not good. Especially when it's fine. You're, you're too nice, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> we already saw Colin Hill transferring today. Does he even have needs to play football anymore? Oh, let's not let's not knock Colin Hill. I, I, I'm not. I'm just saying that's an, okay. That may have been un, mean, but I'm just saying he's had multiple ACL tears. I'm just saying that's hard to come back from. That's it all. Wouldn't surpri- it wouldn't surprise me if he did though. No, his medical medical technology has gone a long ways, but when it's what his third ACL tear. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's a tough go. Just saying. Yeah. All right. Should we go back to the bowl games? Should we move back let's, to that? Let's do it. So bowl. we're moving on to the 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 sponsorless New Mexico Bowl. Uh, fake insert fake business here in New Mexico Bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that story is a complete mess. I don't. How did that? How does that happen? How do they not find out that early on? That's a good question. I have are no they, idea. Are they the Fire Fry Bowl games? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's too easy. Uh, all right, so the sponsors, the New Mexico Bowl, which I guarantee we'll see a bunch of ads for the tourism of New Mexico. Come to the enchanted state to have your green chili and tour where Breaking Bad was filmed, there or I guess, know. or I guess more recently, El Camino, just because the movie came out. But we have Central Michigan, the Chips versus San Diego State. Um, do you think Aztecs fans are are happy to be at this bowl game? I've I've heard a lot of complaints about how cold it is out there. <laughs> <laughs> and and frankly, I sympathize. How cold is it? Is it really that cold? It's gonna be fifty degrees. I for saw kickoff. somebody mention it was like it had been what in the thirties or the forties throughout the week. Yeah, when the sun's down because it's a freaking desert, it gets cold. That, that's cold. That's cold for California, though. It's thirty degrees is cold for anywhere. I'm just saying that's cold. For, cold for San Diego, especially. Yeah, obviously, I just I was asking that because a lot of Aztec fans were not happy. Like they they felt they deserved to go to the Cheez-It Bowl over Air Force. You know what though? I guess I can't begrudge them that. Why? They, they don't deserve to be in the cheese. They had they had a good year. Saying Air Force had a better year. I, I'm I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I get it. The bull matchups aren't like who they play. It's like a Mac versus Mountain versus Challenge we got going on here essentially for the most part. A lot of these games, but technically, New Mexico is the bull is the second bowl game in the conference. That's true. So they play the chips. The first news, I guess, to come out, Ryan Agnew quarterbacks 
should be healthy going to play after having that calf uh, contusion he had. Uh, Juwan Washington, spoiler, still questionable and not sure what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. What? Something. Well, this, this is like the this is the most mysterious injury since Tim Duncan, who or not Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard, in San Antonio Spurs the NBA, where he just sat and didn't play because he didn't trust the doctors or something. Where I mean, there's is it though? I mean, it's just his ankle hasn't been a hundred percent all season long. I well, is what game four or something. Whatever for, for the most part, yeah, it's early, been early pretty on. much all season. He missed a couple games, but why is he not just? It just seems I don't know. It's like it's just weird because if it's that bad, why is he playing? Is it something that can't get worse? He's like, well, I'll just play on see and have surgery after the season because if it can't get worse, but what ankle injury can you play on that does not get worse? That's a good question because you could twist an ankle, you could broken ankle hairline fracture maybe it's i don't know hairline fracture you can play with but hurt still because it takes forever to heal and you can't have surgery on it it's just rest to get those things type of things healed is it a liz frank thing where it's underneath the foot i don't know because they don't say anything but it's just odd that even after this extended break he's still not completely healthy i mean i guess i can't blame him for wanting to play in the game especially since this is what this is his last college game right no i get that i'm i'm not saying he shouldn't play but i'm just kind of like, what's the deal if it's been all year long and he's been playing, what, 80% of the snaps we think he should play or carries he typically gets if you're fully healthy? It's just odd. Like, why is he playing if it's still bugging him? Like, not necessarily this game, but in weeks past, too. I mean, the, the problem that I can foresee if he decides to play and he's not 100% Uh-oh. is, you know, one of the things that both of these teams have in common. Like, we, we know all about San Diego State's defensive line, right? Pretty good, yeah. How they have been awesome all season long. (laughs) Yes. Here's the thing about Central Michigan, though. Their defensive line is also awesome. You're talking about two teams that are actually in the top three nationally by defensive stop rate. So just in terms of tackles for loss, stops at the line of scrimmage. The Aztecs are third, 27.4%. Central Michigan is number one, 28%. You know, they're both, I believe, in the top 15 or so in you know in power success rate. So they both had a lot of success when it comes to stopping the run. On short yardage situations, they're both in the top 10, top 12 as far as opportunity rate. Even just by line yards per carry, you know, San Diego State's number two, Central Michigan's number 11. So I think you kind of have to start looking at this game there because you know San Diego State's going to want to run the ball, whether it's Washington or Jordan Bird or whomever ends up taking the lion's share. Mm -hmm. But it just kind of seems like both teams are going to have a really, really hard time doing just that because it's not just one guy doing it for Central Michigan either. They've got a pair of defensive ends in Sean Adesanya and Lee Kwan Johnson, who were both in the top five uh, among MAC defenders and tackles for loss. And that doesn't even account for uh, you know, linebacker Troy Brown, who was number one in the Mid-American in tackles for loss. Between the three of those guys, I'm trying to do the math in my head real quick here. You know, Brown has 16, Adensaya has 15 and a half, and Johnson has 13. It's a lot of TFLs. I'm not going to try and yeah. do that. <laughs> and plenty, so, plenty, plenty. So if San Diego State can't get the running game going, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Ryan Agnew not to make mistakes. And that's kind of the big if, because 
you know, while Central Michigan has been awesome against defending the run, their overall sack rate is a little bit more hit and miss. Like it's it's closer to the middle of the pack nationally. It's only six point one percent. So I think that there could be opportunities for Agnew to make plays with his legs, especially if they try and get him out of the pocket. You know, if they get him on bootlegs, for instance, to throw down the field to you know Kobe Smith and Jesse mm-hmm. Matthews. I think that there will be opportunities there. But I what I worry about is, you know, this is still a team that runs the ball, I think, 56% of the time. It would not surprise me if they tried to do it, failed to do it, and then found themselves in a lot of third and long situations that they couldn't really work their way out of. And, you know, maybe they prefer a defensive slugfest. But, you know, Central Michigan seems like the kind of team where, especially on their offense, you know, I think overall you could say the chips have an advantage on the Aztecs, you know, because they yeah, have they score a little bit more. Thirty one points do, a game. They score a little bit more. They just move the ball a little bit more effectively. Mm-hmm. Like they they started two different quarterbacks this year. I think David Moore got suspended for a banned substance and uh and the program is actually appealing it right now. But they got their transfer Quentin Dormady, who I want to say he was at Tennessee, if not yes, if I'm not mistaken. Started as Tennessee, was at University of Houston now at Central yeah. Michigan. So, you know, he started nine games. He completed two-thirds of his passes, 14 touchdowns, six interceptions. And, oh, by the way, they have a pair of all-conference wide receivers in Khalil Plimpton and um, you know, Ja'Cory Sullivan, who combined for almost 1,600 yards. So it's not to say that they're going to run wild, of course, because they're going to have to lock horns with Luke Barku and Darren Hall. But it's you know it's just the kind of situation where it may only take one play, one chunk play for Central Michigan to be able to get out in front, and if San Diego State's playing from behind, I don't know that that's necessarily a situation that they can play their way out of. Well, and to consider the running backs for Central Michigan pretty good as well. Pretty well, and that and that and that's why I'm saying like you know it's the kind of thing where they might be able to get the upper hand. But like I said, we know all about San Diego State and their ability to defend the run, so I'm not saying that that's certainty. I I'm know, saying but, that it could well, happen. Yeah, yeah, those two guys two, that combined for 2,000 yards, Jonathan Ward mm-hmm. and Kobe Lewis. So did you know the over-under in this game is the lowest of all bowl games at 41.5? That does not surprise me. Even though Central Michigan averages, or, excuse me, averages 31 points a game? Doesn't surprise me at all. Okay, let me ask you this game. Is this going to be... More exciting or more watchable than you than BYU San Diego State because that game was just dreadful. It should be, yeah, because Central Michigan can actually move the ball. Central Michigan's pretty good. Like yeah. you, you know, Aztec fans might be disappointed that they're not in a bowl against a Power Five opponent. But welcome you know, to if the club. You did, if you, but if you didn't watch the MAC championship game, this was the team that was a hail mary away from winning that game. Yeah. Like, so, they scored 40 know, the, turnar- po- the turnaround was not a fluke in Mount Pleasant. Yeah, you got Jim McElwain coming back to Mountain West playing San Diego State. They won three of the last four. They scored 40 points in three of the last four games. They scored over 40 points five, six times this year, almost seven. So this, if it's going to be a win, I think we all know the formula. It's like San Diego State shut down the defense, offense of Central Michigan, score about 20 points. Yeah, I mean, I think but the, we'll the worst-case scenario, I think, is if you go back and look at the Utah State game, for instance, mm-hmm. where, you know, the Aztecs were able to get stops, but, you know, the Aggies were able to convert at least, you know, 
they were able to convert their opportunities partially. Like they were able to lean on special teams and, you know, maybe that's something that's a little dicier for the chips. Cause I think their, their kicker only made 60% of his field goals. So I think, you know, Matt Ariza definitely represents uh, an advantage for the Aztecs on that front. But again, you know, a lot, it may only take like one touchdown for the whole complexion of this game to change. So, are we- also, one thing that should be noted too, like you play in the MAC, it's usually it's not as offensive as it used to be in the MAC a couple years ago. Still a lot of good offenses. Like, who's the best defense they've played? Is it Wisconsin? They're all six to one. Is it Miami? Like, this defense might be the best they played all year. It might be, and probably I'm guessing Wisconsin because Miami lost to FIU and wasn't even close. And so, Miami Ohio wasn't too bad because there weren't that many points. So it's like, yes, you have these good talent, talented guys, but again, it's not like the defense is amazing in the MAC conference. Not as good as San Diego State, not as good as who they face. So that 31 points, what would you put the curve? Maybe 10-point difference because if you're playing a better team at least? I don't okay, know. So let me let me go back to that split that I was talking about earlier with, uh, with Kent State. Mm-hmm. And let me just give you the split between uh, total offense against the Power 5 and not Power 5. So they only played two games, Correct. Central Michigan did, against the Power 5. Um, Wisconsin and Florida, and they averaged basically two and a half yards per play. Uh, in their other 10 games, they averaged 6.75. Okay. So I guess my question to you would be, what does San Diego State need to hold them to for you to feel like they're going to have the upper hand in this game? Um, let's see. When you look at the game, log, I see what you have there. It should be noted, Wisconsin was 1.29. Mm-hmm. And so that skews when they played Miami at three point one eight. I would I would say, and just to just to put that put this out there for context for our listeners, San Diego State on the season has given up four point six four yards per play. I I'm going to give Central Michigan a bit more credit because they have more weapons to move the ball. It's not like they're a one dimensional team. Where you know I mean it's like it's not like they're playing Washington State where it's throw throw throw. If that goes bad, it goes bad to Washington State or run Army or Navy. And so they're balanced, which means I think it gives them more of a chance to actually move the ball better because, oh, the running game's not working. Well, let's try to pass. we got a couple good receivers, a couple good running backs, vice versa. I would say they would need, San Diego State would need to keep it under 5.3. So slightly so slightly above their average because if you look at if you look at this offense compared to who they played, like if you want to compare it to Mountain West, how balanced it is, how good it is, like for running and passing and for who they played, it, it maybe it is Utah State. Maybe it's not Hawaii, clearly. It's not Air Force, clearly. Not Wyoming, not Nevada. You know what I mean? It's like how many teams are that balanced and good? It could be like a light, uh, light Boise State light type of offense where they're balanced and pretty good. Or maybe mm-hmm. Utah, similar to Utah State as well, essentially. And so that's where I kind of think where if you want a comp of who they're, of how they play, or not, not necessarily how they play, but the distribution of offensive talent. Mm-hmm. What's SP plus and FEI say? I think it's prediction time here. All right. So FEI actually likes the chips. Oh, interesting. Not by much, though, by only three and a half. Uh, SP plus likes San Diego State, though, by 4.2, which is a 59% win probability. Interesting. Because the line we should mention, Aztecs are favored by three and a half. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking over really quick at FPI. They give Aztecs a 63% chance to win. 
I think this is going to beat the over-under, I think. Because my prediction here... Actually, no. My my pick has the over-under winning. Or not over-under, but the uh, yeah, over-under being not reached. I'm going 24-10 Aztecs. I'm going 24-17 Central Michigan. Is 41 way too high? Should people take the under in this one? <laughs> well, 24 and 17 is 41 points. So that's I know. Like right there. That's what I mean. Should you take the under in this one? Every well, I, mean, I think I think we've talked about this before. If you bet the under all season long for the Aztecs, you'd be a, a very rich individual, or at least percentage wise, winning money. But every like looking at our staff picks, which I'll post probably the day before this game, probably I guess Friday or maybe early Saturday morning. Only one has the has the over under being met with Roger You're, going twenty. Also, only twenty four twenty. Well, okay, yeah. Here's the here's the thing though. Remember. The overs hit once for the Aztecs, just once this year. So if, if you're in Vegas, if you're anywhere where you can put a bet in, not just trust us, bet the under. Yeah, I wish I had somebody down there at the moment to help me out with that for this game. We, we need some proxies or something, man. Let's see who lives in Vegas. Well, I know I know one or two people. Maybe I can. Uh, <laughs> everybody, Keith lives in Vegas, right? That's true. Yeah, okay, maybe I'll give Keith a bet. We'll see. We'll, we'll uh, see. It's it's getting too close to game time, but all right, next game, final game we're talking about today. Is the Chris Peterson farewell tour crap? I played my old team, Las Vegas ball, up against Boise State, my protege, Brian Harson. Is that long enough bowl game for you? <laughs> well, you forgot to mention the Mitsubishi part, but yes. yes. Well, I'll make a bird sponsors here. <laughs> okay. Chris, we, as I said before, Chris Peterson doesn't like this one bit. Um, but it is a. We should mention. Oh, we should mention a prior game. We didn't even mention kick time. It's 11 a.m. Pacific, ESPN on Saturday. This next one is a 4:30 Pacific, 7:30 Eastern ABC game where the Vegas Bowl typically is. It's later in the day this time. Boise 19, Washington not ranked seven to five was a preseason top 20 team. Washington favored by three and a half. And how many tears will Chris Peterson shed throughout the game? Will there be any tears shed, regardless? Joy or Whatever. I don't know. Has Chris Peterson ever cried that we know of? Does he have oil coming out of his, as, uh, his tear ducts? Does he need to be recharged <laughs> at night or something? <laughs> no, he has emotion, but he seems typically stoic for regardless of the situation. Mm-hmm. Unless he's one of the Fiesta Bowl versus Oklahoma. Um, the, I like the matchup because people watch the game, which is good. Do we know, which I'm pretty sure you're going to answer, I don't know, is it Jalen Henderson starting quarterback? Well, um, the depth chart lists Henderson at the top of the depth chart. I thought I saw a quote from Brian Harson today where he somebody asked him if Bachmeyer and Cord would play. And if I remember correctly, he said, yeah, probably. <laughs> That's the most he says on anything. Uh, should, okay, if Bachmeyer is healthy, should he play? I don't see why not. Well, actually, no. You know what? I'm going to take that back because Henderson has been playing so well lately that it seems kind of messed up to, that he wouldn't just let it ride. Like, I, I mean, I could see it, a, a package, for instance, maybe they put cord in if they need like a, a, run, a read option or something like that. But I think for the most part, you know, it's it's been working <laughs> with, with Henderson. Yeah, Henderson undefeated, 4-0. So, you know, why why mess with a bad thing? Yeah, and like Bachmeyer, he's here's the thing too. He's going to be the starter next year because I talked with Dave Southhorn on our preview for the title game, Mount Championship game. 
I kind of mentioned like well about the transfer transfer stuff, and it's likely if anybody's going to be gone, it's going to be Chase Cord. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe not. Well, it depends because it depends if they bring in as well recruit wise, but Bachmeyer is the guy. You know what I mean? So it's like he knows he's going to be back to play. Whatever the injury is, he's getting healthy. It's like you're right. You're undefeated. Why not go with the guy? And if something goes wrong with Henderson because Peterson comes up with the game plan or Jimmy Lake finds something how to stop him off defensively uh, going up against uh, Henderson, then you switch to Bachmeyer. But the guys are seniors playing well. Again, why does the game literally means nothing? Like if they win, is it really going to impact what they're ranked next year at all? If they're ranked, no. Very unless you're Tennessee and get the victory, that's the only team that'll get up to get ranked if you do well in these bowl games. So, so you think it should be just go with Henderson and if he plays well, let him play? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, here's one thing too. I'm looking at the Q and A from Dave, Dave Southhorn today. So clearly, one of the first questions was about Henderson and Bachmeyer. So apparently, um, Harsh admitted that he nearly put Hank in during the title game at some point. Interesting. And so he thinks um, – uh, sorry, I'm reading it real quick. Basically, it's like if the if they need points and they're not doing quite well, which does statement, they'll go Bachmeyer. But I think they're going to roll with Henderson, and if he plays well as the guy, if there's – say points are being given up or he's not scoring, they may switch to Bachmeyer just to see, which I think would be – the best way to do it and reward a guy who's playing quite well. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. let him play. It's like Washington's amazing. They weren't that great this year. Defense is solid. <laughs> Offense has been hit or miss with Jake Brownie. It's not like he's going to light them up, I don't think. See, here's the thing. I think that the offense for the Huskies has actually been ahead of the defense. And I think it was the defense slipping, which I think mostly comes down to the fact that they had to replace so many guys who ended up in the NFL this yeah. year. Um, you know, I went back and looked, and they had like eight draft picks last year. Yeah. So if you just look at the, if you look at the splits between how they performed when they've won versus how they've lost, you can see a pretty drastic difference on that side of the ball. You know, in the seven games that they won, they're only giving up about four and a half yards per play. In the five games that they lost, however, they've given up six yards per play, and even then, you know, they lost one, two, three, four games by one score. So that must be Utah as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the seven and five record could be considered a little bit deceptive because they, you know, one or two breaks the other way and what they're probably playing in the Alamo bowl or bowl, or maybe they're playing air force in a couple of weeks in the cheese bowl instead. So the holiday bowl, maybe. So it's not like they don't have talent. It's just a matter of, you know, how are they going to contend with the, with the strengths that Boise State's going to bring, bring it up? You know, because one thing I think that I'm wondering about is how are they going to keep Boise State from being disruptive, for instance? Um, you know, they, you know, they're losing their left tackle of Washington is Trey Adams. He, mm-hmm. he declared for the NFL draft. He's not going to play in this game. You know, they lost their starting right guard to an injury, Jackson Kirkland. He's not going to be playing on Saturday. Um, they're also missing their Mackey Ward finalist uh, tight end. Uh, now his name escapes me. Hunter Bryant. Excuse me. Um, he's not going to play in this game. So just at a glance, it seems like, you know, Boise's coming in with all their pieces. I saw another quote from Harson saying that he hadn't talked about with anybody about sitting out the bowl game, about mm-hmm. transferring or anything like that. So Boise State's fully operational, and Washington is going in with the proverbial one hand behind its back. Again, it's not like they still don't have talent. You know, Jacob Eason's still a really good quarterback. 
They still have a decent running game. They still have a lot of defensive pieces, young talent on that side of the ball, like Joe Tryon. But it's a lot to ask new guys to step up in a big situation against a team that's going in full strength, ready to go. Yeah, it's just, um, yeah, they're at full strength essentially because, like, Curtis Weaver, he's playing too, right? He's going to the NFL draft. He's not skipping this game. Uh, You have guys on this team, like, I don't get, here's the thing too, I don't get why Washington's favored. Like, I get to one score games. Like, I see them play a couple times. They nearly beat Oregon. They had Utah under ropes, if not for a pick six, it may have been a different story. So, like, you're right, that 7-5 record, like, they were one score away from beating Oregon, Utah, but then again, both were at home. They, but that, like, when they're not at home, they're not very good. Like, they lost to Cal, or, excuse me, Cal's a good team, but that was a home game, sorry. But, like, they lose at Stanford, and Stanford's garbage. They lose at Colorado, both non both eligible teams. They only scored 19 points to beat Oregon State, who, yeah, improved to 5-7. and seven. But when they're not a Husky Stadium, they're a different team. And clearly... Mm-hmm. They're not Husky Stadium this weekend. They're playing Boise State. So I'm like, I don't get why they should be favored by any stretch. Like, what proves to you, know, like, this is a Jake Brownie name, or excuse me, not Jake Brownie, Jacob Eason name just because? Is it Boise playing a guy who's not technically a starting quarterback despite being the starter third of the year? What may, like, they have Selvon Allman, who's a pretty good running back, 1,000 yards, but George Hawley's been playing pretty good the past couple weeks, too, of the year. So can you, can you give me a good reason why they're favored over Boise State? I really can't. No, it's like Boise's freaking twelve and one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have one put loss. Put some respect on their name. Put some put some money down on them. Like if I'm thinking of it, yeah, if you're if you're wanting to go put money in this game, I would take Boise to cover this three and a half. Like, well, no, you don't have to cover. He's got to win. They can even lose, and you can win money in this game because it's a crappy three and a half point line. Like, I don't think Boise's going to blow the doors off them, but I don't see why it can't be similar to that Hawaii game where they maybe win like. It's not my score here, but like maybe score thirty points and win by ten or so. Mm-hmm. Like it wouldn't surprise me. Like Boise's defense is really good. They have good players as well. Yeah. Even, even if they double, triple Curtis Weaver, there's other guys who can make plays. They have special teams. Return guys are pretty good. Washington, unless they do that fake guy laying in the end zone where they get penalized, they don't have much on special teams overall. Mm-hmm. I like Washington's just a team where when it comes down to it, they can't get it done. And they were expected to be like maybe win the Pac-12 North. They were they were in the mix, yeah. They were expected to be there. Yeah, like I think preseason they were what top twenty team. I think they were ranked above Utah to start the year, like behind Oregon and above Utah, the number two in Pac-12. Mm-hmm. And they kind of fell apart, like losing to Cal, which seemed kind of surprising. But they crushed Hawaii, they crushed BYU, they got some respect by beating USC. But again, again, like I said, when they're at home, they're good. When they're on the road, they're not very good. And so that's why I think Boise State should win this game and should win. Like, it, this should be a fairly exciting game. The over-under is only 49.5, but I think this game will be reasonably close, but I don't see why it Washington should threaten and win this game. Boise's going to take care of business because they have more weapons than Washington, and they've just been winning more. I know Chris Peterson's a great coach, and he'll it'll be interesting what he does in this game just because not – well, it should, he's not going to – he'll say he won't treat it by any other game. He knows the other side of the field, but the coaching aspect is going to be what he always does. Mm-hmm. Extra time to prepare. Yeah, he does better in that situation. But again, his team's just under cheat this year, and I think that'll continue in the bowl game. So interestingly, the projections are split. Um, though it is maybe worth keeping in mind at this juncture that, you know, projections like FBI and SP plus, they don't account for things like injuries. They don't account for absences, like leaving for the NFL draft and things like that. So keep yeah. that in mind. 
when I tell you that FEI favors the Broncos by 1.8, while SP Plus favors Washington by 8.3, which is a 68% win probability. Yeah, even like FPI favors Washington 58%. What can Washington do to win this game? They have to have the upper hand on offense. And, you know, I think I think what it's ultimately going to come down to is some of the young talent they have on defense is going to have to step up and make plays. You know, when I did the, the Q&A with Lauren Kirschman of the Tacoma, um, oh, shoot, the name of the paper, excuse me, the Tacoma News Tribune, excuse me, um, you know, one player that she pointed out as someone who could play a huge role in this game is Trent McDuffie, a redshirt freshman cornerback, four-star recruit, has played most of the year as a starter, but, you know, we know Boise State likes to go over the top, and especially, you know, especially if Bachmeyer gets playing time, I wouldn't be surprised to see him take a couple shots down the field. So someone like him could play a big role in keeping guys like, you know, Khalil Shakir and, and John Hightower in check. But I think pretty much everybody in that secondary is going to need to play their, you know, they're going to need to bring their A game for them to stand a chance because it's not like they have an overwhelming pass rush to really make up for it. You know, it's it's a it's a okay pass rush, but it's not great. It's like top fifty, and you know, if Boise has their offensive pass protection issues solved, then you know, maybe it's not a problem at all. But mm. so, I mean, I think that there are avenues there. I think it'll be competitive, but I you know, considering the way Boise's played down the stretch, considering they have everybody there, it just seems like the kind of situation where they should be able to win this one fairly comfortably i think they should too like there's not too much i would say like looking at uh, team rankings really quick which i don't get either they predict team rankings a four point win and a three and a half point win for number fire are we what are we missing like what do i seriously what are we missing i don't get it i'm i'm not sure all right my pick i'm actually picking washington to cover i think it'll be close 30 i'm going 31 30 boise state which See, I, think, I don't know. Maybe I'll change. What's your pick? I don't know. I may change. I don't like I mean, my I pick. I'm the, talking about. I think the score will look closer than it actually is for most of the game. So I'm going to take Boise straight up. I'm going to take, or rather, I'm going to lay three and a half. I've got the Broncos winning 24 to 20. I'm making a change. I'm going 31 27, Boise State. There you go. Because you're right. It's like, I think, like, I'm not saying Washington's a bad team, but I just don't see where they're that much better than Boise State overall. But that's our three bowl previews for this week. Again, we still go an hour because that's what we do, apparently, which is perfectly fine. And people love it. I'm assuming they love our podcast. We get people to listen all the time. So thank you for that. I guess our plan, just so you guys have an idea, it is Christmas week coming up. So Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Have no work, no school if you're lucky to have that situation like some of us do or don't. But uh, hope you take some time off to chill and relax. We're going to be back. Is it? Are we? Are we officially confirming on air Sunday, Matt? Is that the possibility? I believe so. Oh, I believe so. Okay. So if we come back Sunday, should be the plan. We will recap these three bowl games, and then also, at the very least, preview Hawaii BYU. Will TBD on the other games this rest of the week because that'll be kind of. Uh, it's the holidays. We got stuff going on, right, Matt? Mm-hmm. So. Keep in touch. We'll be around. MWR.com for rent content, definitely for sure. Podcast, we'll be back. Uh, should be back Sunday to recap and preview some stuff. 
And uh, yeah, keep it going. Hope everybody has a great. Hope your team wins. But first of all, if you're in a bold bowl team, let me ask you this really quick. I saw Athlon put out a kind of a bold prediction, like crazy things that could happen. And one of their predictions was the Mountain West goes undefeated in league in a bowl game. Wouldn't that be something? Looking at my picks, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I mean, they're they have already got nine wins against the Power Five. What's a few more? Yeah, exactly. Let's make eleven, right? There you go. But I, th- I think there's a decent chance that we'll come. We'll, I guess we'll know at the end of that when we talk about our final games. But uh, that's it for tonight or today morning, whenever you're listening to this, uh, traveling, whatever. Have a great uh, week of the bowl season, right? Bowl season is here, Matt. We have games like every day, Mountain West or otherwise. Great time to be alive, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the bowl games. All right, folks. We'll see you next time. <laughs>